Happy Mother's Day. Hopefully everybody is enjoying the slightly less damp, but still cloudy, dreary day that we've got. So, not too bad. Not too bad. A little chilly. May is expected to be a little warmer than this, but that's okay. We got coats. Oh, we'll survive. Um, all right, if you don't mind, we're just about time to start. So if I could uh, open up with a word of prayer and then we'll have class. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and all the many blessings that you've provided with us. Uh, we thank you for the opportunity to come and gather and study your word. Uh, Father, we ask that at this time we would be able to allow your word, to, uh, the meaning behind your word, most importantly, Father, to uh, become apparent, uh, allow it to penetrate our, our hearts and minds. Father, allow us to incorporate what you would have us learn uh, and apply it to our daily lives. Father, we ask that this time you would um, just allow us to set everything apart, set everything aside, and just focus on you and what you'd have us learn. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we've had discussion about leadership and, and how military operates and being able to, to deal with a group. And I'm going to go back to a general principle. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about having somebody cover your, cover your back and make sure nobody surprises you. Um, this, this week, we're going to talk about how do you surprise other people? Um, so the, the, the specific joint language in the, in the joint doctrine says, uh, take actions at a time, place, or manner by which the enemy is unprepared. Uh, and so the, the quick story I've got is uh, December 1776, the U.S., well, the, the colonies at the time, were trying to figure out how they were going to beat this uh, British army. The, the British army was much better trained, much better equipped, organized, etc. Um, but the British army was uh, basically organized from England. And so they had come forward and they had uh, all these disparate groups and camps all over the place. And the British had, had brought in a, a group of soldiers known as Hessians um, who were kind of like mercenary-ish. I mean, they were hired soldiers, basically. And so the Hessians had been coming in and they were camped out in New Jersey. And so Washington decided to cross the Delaware, cold, frigid, December day, Christmas day, actually. And you can see pictures of him crossing the Delaware in these rowboats in the early morning of Christmas, to, to sneak into and attack the Hessians who were camped out in, New, in Trenton, New Jersey. Because of the time and place that he chose to, to make this attack, one, it was cold and snow was all over the place and the Delaware was like almost frozen over solid. Nobody was moving. I mean, you really had to be desperate to move in those kind of conditions. And certainly to conduct a military offensive in those kind of conditions was like unheard of. And so when Washington and his men came in and took over the camp, uh, the, the Hessians just surre surrendered immediately. They were like, look, if, if, you're, if you're willing to go out in this kind of weather, you're, you're more soldier than we are. And they, they capitulated immediately. And because of that, it set the tone. Washington and his army decided that they weren't going to fight on British terms. They were going to fight on their own terms. And so that changed a lot of how Washington was thinking and how Washington prepared for battles. And he kept the British off their guard the entire time. Uh, the British never seemed to get their rhythm together because Washington was doing things that were totally unprepared or un unexpected. So, how do we as Christians deal with Satan and understand how Satan works? And how do we, how do we surprise people in a way that Satan is unprepared for? Have you ever thought about that? 
How do we catch Satan unprepared? What are things we can do as Christians that Satan goes, huh, didn't see that coming? Can you think of anything? How do we catch Satan with his guard down? Absolutely. And that is the crux. You now have the entire lesson that I'm going to teach. I'm going to go a little bit more deeper in detail, trust me. Hopefully I won't bore you too much. But, but that's the response. That's the thing that Satan is totally unprepared for, is for people being able to step out of our human frailness and into the picture of Christ and do things as Christ would do them. That is what Satan is unprepared for. So when we read Romans, uh, specifically chapter 12, Romans 12, 9 through 13, we get this kind of example, and, it, and it's spelled out pretty well for us. And you've read it a bunch of times, I know, but, but think about how this applies to the lesson of surprise. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference one to another not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patience, and tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Okay, I'm going to pause there. How much of that is human nature? How much of that is something that we normally would be inclined to do if we were not Christians? Any of it? I mean, would anybody in their right mind do anything that Paul is talking about here in Romans if they weren't a Christian? Not really. I mean, if you look at people today and you look at how they're dealing, they're dealing with their lives, the world is full of me first itis. I got to get there, I got to get the mostest and the firstest before somebody else beats me to it. That is how human behavior is. That is how Satan trains people to, beha to behave because it's, it's our human nature. It's, it's that, that man, the inner man inside us that is clawing to get out. And that's the piece that we have to be able to keep in control of. That's how we're supposed to deal with each other here in the church. By the way, deal with each other in brotherly love. Steadfast prayer of forgiveness. Okay. What about people who are mean to us? Oh. Well, certainly the world doesn't treat Enemies the same way you would treat your friends, right? I mean, your enemies you do bad things to, right? Your friends, if you're going to be nice to somebody, you'd be nice to a friend, right? I mean, the Ukraine right now is very friendly to those who are helping to support the country of Ukraine because the world recognizes the horror that Russia is imposing upon them. But the Ukraine is certainly not looking at Russia as a friend, and neither is Russia looking at Ukraine as a friend. But... Here's what the Bible says about dealing with enemies. Ironically, it's continuing on in Romans chapter 12. Verse 14 continues, Bless those who persecute you. Bless, do not curse. Pick up in 17, he says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals, on heap coals of fire on his head. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
So there's a corollary here. You treat Christians with Christian love. You treat enemies with Christian love. Is, is that something people expect? No. So when you're dealing with people and you want to surprise somebody, hopefully we don't surprise our brothers and sisters in Christ by treating them as brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen? Hopefully nobody is surprised by somebody giving you a hug and a handshake and asking you how your day is going. But when we're in the world and, and somebody is, has been mean to us or somebody has done something to us that, that causes us to feel ill about them, how are they expecting us to treat them? They're expecting us to fight fire with fire. I mean, you know, it's a dog-eat-dog world. Um, I'm trying to drive fast on the freeway, so you're going to cut me off, and, and we're both going to just have to jockey for position, and, and, and i got to get there before you, so I'm going to drive crazy, more crazy than you do. How do, how do people react when you're on the highway and somebody turns the blinker on and you slow down and you let them get in? What's usually the first thing that people do if they turn the blinker on and, and you give them space? You get that, whoa, hey, I got it. Thank you. I appreciate that. Because they're acknowledging you acting kind of differently. How about if somebody just cuts in front of you and, and you slow down and give them space and kind of, eh, okay, they, they, they may wave, but probably they're just treating it like I deserve that. How about people cutting in front of you in line? You're standing there, you know, you're, you're waiting to get bread or pastry or your haircut or whatever, and somebody jumps in front of you in line. What's the first, what's the human reaction to that? Hey, yeah, can, can we talk about this a little bit? I, I, I'd like to negotiate your attempt to step in front of me. Is that a common reaction inside of us? Is that the human response inside of us? Is it easy to take that human response and put it in a bottle and say, nope, this is, this is not how I'm going to respond. No. It's hard for us to do that. But it is what God asks us to do. Madonna. So yesterday when my kids were buying me Mother's Day presents, and we were at the store, and I was pointing out exactly what I wanted for Mother's Day, <laughs> um, we were at a very kitschy local store that's a tourist trap, if you will. Okay. And there was a three women in front of us and one of them was just literally buying everything she saw. She was dumping her stuff on the counter, walking back into the store, finding more, putting it back on the counter. The register person was so overwhelmed. And this person, let's just say, was very showy looking, very stereotypical, you know, you just, okay, she wants everything under the sun, very flashy. And, you know, she stepped in front of Linda to get in line. And so, of course, she's now holding up everybody. So immediately, you know, we were like, oh, here we go. Tell me why Linda saw that same person later at her job at the mall. And her first reaction was, oh, no. But you know what? I thought about it later. I would not want to be, you have to put yourself in their mindset somebody so desperate to buy everything they want when they ha clearly have everything somebody who's pushy somebody who's not thinking of others there but for the grace of god go i i honestly you have to 
the, the, when she goes to bed at night, is she really satisfied? Is she really right. happy? Does she feel loved? So you almost have to look at it in that perspective. Yes, it's annoying. Yes, they're pushy. Yes, they're demanding. But really, are they happy? And I would not want that in my life. Exactly. How? There's a lot of good thoughts that came there. How do we characterize people who want everything their way? Are, are they people who, are, who feel entitled? Probably. Are they people who feel like the world owes them something? Probably. Are they people who feel like they are valued? Mm. Why do people want to exert their influence? Why do people want to be the first in line? A, because they feel entitled, but B, they gotta have that affirmation. They need that. They need, it's, it's as addictive to them to be in front and be observed and be recognized as it is for us to come in and get a hug and get a warm smile. That's the thing that they feed on, but that's the human nature that's feeding them. And it's that piece that Satan uses to his advantage. If, if you could replace somebody's desire to be seen with a desire to help, you, infants, you, you instantly flip that whole dynamic. Suddenly they aren't so enamored with being seen, but they're enamored with helping. That is a very, very hard thing to turn off and flip over inside your mind. But the more you do it, the more you get that reward by knowing that by helping others, you are presenting that picture. You, you're creating that discord in their mind between the world expects this, but you're behaving differently. I expect you to treat me with hatred, but you're, you're opening your heart with kindness. What's going on here? You're starting to create those questions. You're starting to plant that seed of doubt that the world's got it right. And there may be something bigger. The Grinch, when his heart grew 10 sizes too big, or 10 sizes bigger than it had been, is when he realizes, oh, it's not about me. I, I've got it wrong. That's how we can help the world turn their characterization upside down. That's the surprise factor that Satan wants to eliminate and wants to fight as much as he possibly can. So, if we read through Galatians, there's, there's a repetition that goes on, but there's a specific focus on things in Galatians chapter 5 that help us, and you've heard this a million times, so I'm, I'm going to read it, but, but I want you to think about it a little differently. This is how we treat the world, and there's a point behind how we treat the world and how we help treat each other. As we treat the world is also kind of how we train ourselves to treat each other as Christians. And that's, that's kind of a sad thing, but if you're used to, to having to fight in the world to get your position and to get acknowledged and to get the respect that you need, if you're used to doing that in the world, it has a tendency to bleed over in the church. If we train ourselves in the church to have that love and that care and that feed, that tends to spill over into the world. And it depends on which way you fill your cup. 
as to which way you're influencing people. Okay, read, the, read with me in Galatians chapter 5. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out that you, watch out or you will be destroyed. For I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Okay. I'm going to pause there for a minute. We can see clearly what this war is all about. There's a war between our spirit and the flesh that, that, that is in our spirit, that, that is us. That warfare is, it's an internal, but it's also an external warfare. It's an internal warfare in how we deal with ourselves and we put our own, put that spirit first, but it's an external warfare as well. If we allow ourselves to put the spirit first, what do we see? If we put the spirit first, what do other people see? Fruit of the spirit, there we go. We're going to get to that in Galatians in just a second. Thank you very much. That is an excellent primer because people will see the Spirit manifested in us. When we see the world behave traditionally, typically out in the world, and we're just kind of wandering around, do we see the Spirit in people or do we see the flesh of people? We see the flesh. It's very common for you to see people behave like people. Occasionally, we degenerate into animals, but I mean, for the most part, people behave like human beings, just regular average people. But, but Galatians teaches us that that's not the way we should behave. The spirit is the thing that is to be our driving force. Come in the back, please. I think the whole premise of what you're saying goes back to humility. Um, and I always think about how Jesus dealt with the people of his day, the, the oppressed, the marginalized, the forgotten. Um, he was willing to go to great lengths to deal with or help people that the world did not want to help. Um, and I think that's key for us today, um, you know, to follow that example. And then I always think about myself, <laughs> you know, and how I'm still growing in Christ too and how God deals with me and how gracious he is to me. So I always try to keep in my mind, okay, God is merciful, loving and gracious to me. I need to show that same thing to others as well. Humility, I love that point. Is, is humbleness something we expect from people? No, humble, humility is probably the most anti-human of all emotions. I mean, you, you, love is probably more common to see than true humility. Humility is one of those that helps us keep everything in check. And, and I love the way you put it. It's, I am thinking of others before I think about myself. 
And Christ was the perfect example of thinking of others. And as we live as Christians, we think of others first. There are others' needs. What do they have to have? What, the person at the store who was wanting to buy everything, they needed that gratification in order to feel good, but they needed something more. They needed the gratification, but the thing that they desperately needed most was love. And they were filling that hole in their life with things. And that's a vicious cycle for people to get into. Because people think that if I can buy enough, if I can just get enough respect, if I can just get enough people that, that see me doing great things, I'll be respected, I'll be loved. And no. There's a, a bumper sticker you've probably seen it a million times, but the greatest vitamin to having friends is to be one. Amen? If you want to have love in your life, love others. And don't love others with the expectation that people are going to love you back. Okay, fruits of the Spirit. We were talking about that. I want to walk through this. I'm going to start with the opposite of the fruits of the Spirit. These are the things you expect to see in the world. These are things that, that habitually happen. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, enviness, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, that's a list of the do-nots. But, but what drives people to do that? The absence of love, the absence of, of recognizing people for who they are, the absence of humility. A lot of those things are driven because it's self-satisfying. It's self-satisfaction. I want it because it serves my purpose. That's the thing that we have to avoid. That's the thing that has no place in the church. We were talking a couple of weeks ago about the difference between Christians and how Christians behave, but where Christians go and what things Christians can be involved in. This is the world. We can't avoid that. But this isn't the kind of behavior we get into. Tommy, hang on just a second. Let me get a microphone over Hello. to you. You know, Alan, some of these are, are very obvious to us, but some of them are, are, are a little bit um, a little bit less obvious and, and we don't notice it um, unless we're actively looking for it. For example, like strife, um, dissensions, factions. Yep. If you look on social media, that's that's what you see. That's <laughs> yes. what you see. And, and, and if you really want to see, you know, the, the, the works of the flesh without, you know, thinking of the things that are more obvious, like sexual immorality and things like that. You can look right on social media and you can see all the factionalism. You can you can see, you know, all these things that are, are much more subtle that we don't necessarily pay attention to, but also happen within the church. And we just don't recognize them as as being part of a sinful nature. Right. Discord and selfish ambition. Those are two things that the church has to be very cognizant of because that's a poison that seeps in. Like you said, social media it comes in from the world. And we just kind of get numb to it. We just assume that that's the way you're supposed to be. You're, you're naturally supposed to respond to somebody's comment with a, well, I don't think that's quite right. You know, I, I naturally need to rise up and challenge your position because it's just how things happen. That's just the way people are. 
Social media is replete with all kinds of diatribe about, well, you can't say that because I, da, 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 and you just get this sniping contest and all that discord and, and it builds up hate and animosity. Those are the kind of things that we have to watch out for because it's a poison inside the church. As I mentioned, we can't get out of it because it's what goes on in the world. And we as Christians need to be the light that help the world see that there's a better way to do it. But inside the church, we have to be very closely guarded that that doesn't become how we treat each other. So how should we treat each other? This is the thing that Satan can't deal with. Satan's weapons are all the things that were mentioned prior. That's how Satan wins the world. These are things Satan can't deal with because it surprises him because humans shouldn't do this. But Christ in us allows us to be love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things there is no law. Listen carefully, church. Against such actions, against such spirit, there is no law. You cannot be held accountable if you love somebody. You cannot be held accountable for the peace and the forbearance that you are exerting. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying others. That's the thing that Satan can't get his head wrapped around. How can humans give up humanity and put on Christ? And when we go out in the world as Christians and they see us as not human, behaving like people, but we, we treat people who are heaping us with hatred, we turn around and say, brother, I love you. Is there something going on in your life that I can pray for you? How can I help you today? You look hungry. Can, can I give you something to eat? That kind of thing blows people's minds. Satan has no way of defending against that. The irony is that's not an attack. Not the attack that we would expect from the military. In the military, you gather your forces and you, you put your forces down and you, you create this devastating blow. The most devastating blow to Satan's whims is to turn the other cheek, to enable somebody to look at us and see Christ in us. When we present Christ, Satan has no answer. He has no way of trying to deflect that. Satan has to leave. We become the light in this world. And that's a crazy thing for Satan to try to work with because Satan can only deal with human nature. And human nature has no way of dealing with this spirit. All of the things that are there. Is it hard to be joyful? Let me ask you this. Is it hard to live in the spirit of Christ. We have to kind of put our heads to it, right? We have to kind of work at it. Is it easier to be in the spirit here in the church or in the world? Here, right? Because you're around others who are also helping you kind of feel that joy. You feed off of each other. The more we spend time away from the church, Listen, church, the more time we spend away from our kind, our ability to become effective Christians gets diminished. That, that spirit inside us starts to starve a little bit because it doesn't have a kindred spirit that can help share, or help share that load, that can 
that we can kind of let our guard down and just be ourselves. We need to be amongst ourselves to recharge our batteries, get ourselves back into that fighting spirit so that we can carry that love back out into the world. If we're here and I have somebody who is having a bad day and I try to, try to help them out, I can, I can talk to somebody about how that person was treating me. And as fellow Christians, we can kind of share, wow, that, that was a really tough day. I'm, I'm glad you handled it as a Christian because we can recognize that in each other. The world has no idea how Christians should behave, but they know that when they see it, it's a weird thing. It's this pause. What, what's going on here? But we can help each other become stronger. We, we can help each other deal with the hard times as Christians. So, as a congregation, we have a requirement to behave in a certain way. But, how do we expect Satan to attack us as a church? We know how Satan is going to attack us individually. How will Satan try to attack us as a congregation? What are some of the things that Satan may try to do? In the back, hang on, just a second here. Testament to that. Oh, thank you. In Galatians, yes. Yeah, um, the problem is the Galatians uh, were going off a different gospel. Okay. Um, there are people telling them there's things you got to do to be a good Christian. Right. Or to be the right type of Christian. And that's not the gospel. The gospel is you messed up and God gave us a solution in Jesus Christ. Right. Now, when we get the gospel wrong and we start thinking it's about all these different things and not the fact that we were dependent and God came in and did something about it, then we start one-upping each other. Ah. And we start devouring each other. And we start envying each other. But if we start at the right, the right basis, we all have a need for Jesus. We all had a need for the blood of Christ. That changes our thought process. Absolutely. You hit it, Carrie. I'm going to, I'm going to, it's a spoiler alert. Um, Satan is a one trick pony. He is, Satan is a one trick pony. The problem is his one trick works a lot. If we acknowledge it, if we understand it, call it out. Say, hey, Satan, I got your number. I know. I know you are going to be attacking me in the ways that, that, that Christ himself said, this is what's going to happen. These are the things that you're going to be exposed to. When did Christ surprise Satan? Think about it. There's a time. When did Christ surprise Satan? Three times. And the fourth time is when he went to the cross. There are four times that Christ totally caused Satan to, to lose his mind. All four of those times, Christ did not act like a man would. Christ was God, the Spirit, in the flesh. He had the flesh to deal with. 
Christ had to wrestle with the flesh just as we did, and we are doing now. But the four times that Christ was totally caught, unprepared, were the three times he tried to tempt Christ, and Christ denied the flesh all three times, and the fourth time when he denied him very self and went to the cross and died. Oh, hold on hold on, just let me get your mic for you. So we know uh, the main the main work of Satan is to uh, he's roaming around like a lion, um, trying to kill, trying to destroy, trying to bring hate, trying to bring divisions, trying to bring so many disappointments in the church. So um, we have to be very careful as to the works of the adversary, because sometimes um, he uses any opportunity that he has, any opportunity that happens to us to bring division. He will make sure that the division that we have, he will dwell upon it in such a way that it will just break us apart. You know, so, and also he has some power to destroy, you know, so we have to be very careful. How does he destroy? He destroys relationships. Right. He destroys the love that we have. He destroys uh, things that we have in common, like uh, friendship and um, like all the shapes that we have that our brother taught us. He will destroy them. And so we will not be able to sail properly. So we have to be very careful and always make sure we are sailing, focusing on our Lord Jesus Christ. Because the moment you take off your eyes from the Lord, that is when he starts doing, he start doing things that he's supposed to do. Right. So always you have to focus on our Lord Jesus Christ, follow his example. At the time that he was on the cross, he says, please, Lord, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. It's the same way that we also have to do. Whatever the situation is, we have to forgive. Yes. And work in common. And forgiveness, forgiving others is one of those crazy things that the world is not expecting. So we talked about when Christ surprised Satan. When was Christ surprised? Can you think of scripture where Christ was caught off guard? Okay, in the back, right here. Uh, I think it was the kind centurion. The centurion, thank you. Christ was like, oh, wait a minute. Here's a centurion who I am completely expecting to behave like the world would behave. The centurion is behaving like a child of God. He is thinking of others first. He is recognizing my authority. He is acknowledging that I have the power to heal. Christ was a little caught off guard by that. Not totally surprised, but he was acknowledging the fact that this Roman centurion was totally out of character. And it's that out of character piece that drew Christ's attention. And that's how we can draw people to Christ through our behavior. When we catch people off guard, when we behave, not like a person, but when we behave like the Roman centurion, when we behave like a, like Christ would, we can cause people to go, huh, wait a minute. That's, that's not exactly what I would have expected. Are we often caught off guard when people behave like people? Well, that's kind of expected, right? Are we caught off guard when somebody that we don't think is a Christian 
behaves in a kind manner, when they show love. When we see the fruits of the Spirit in somebody that we don't or weren't expecting to behave that way, are we kind of caught off guard a little bit? It's kind of nice. A pleasant surprise, right? Hold on. Just a second. So while I know you started this class by saying, how can we surprise the devil or how can we catch him off guard? Yes. Catch him unawares. Like what was just mentioned with the centurion, I don't need to impress the devil. I don't need to make him go, ooh. Mm -hmm. But boy, I would love to be able to say, I surprised God or I surprised Jesus in my behavior. To me, that's something to boast about. Totally. That's something to feel confident in. Confident, thank you. There we go. And confident in not my ability to do something, but my ability to let Christ work through me. And to me, that is the piece that causes me probably the biggest pause, is when I can, I can take myself out of the picture and say, God, if I have anything to do with this, I'm going to mess this up. I need you to step in and you to do the right thing. When I can do that, when I have the, the presence of mind or the presence of spirit, whichever one you, you, can, you can attribute it to, when I have that ability to say, God, this, I'm, I'm going to mess this up. I, I, I don't have any answer for the situation. I need you to guide. I need you to step in and take control. And I do that, and it works, because I let God do that for me, through me. It's such a tremendous feeling of, wow, but it's not me. It's not me doing that. And that's the piece that we have to be careful of, is acknowledging that it's Christ working through us that makes all that happen. That is the piece that I think Christ is most pleasantly surprised with. When we can take ourselves out of the equation and totally allow, completely allow Christ to deal with that situation through us the way we know he wants us to. That, that doesn't happen very often. I'm going to be ashamed to admit it, that I can't do that very often. I try. I try hard. Being here in the church helps because I can, I can let my guard down and just kind of just let go and let God do the things that he's going to do. Doing that in the world is scary. Doing that in the world really um, puts my teeth on edge, if I have to put it some way. But the few times that I've done it, I've been able to walk away going, that was the right thing for me to do. And it wasn't me that did it. It was allowing God to do that. Some of the elders, when Susan and I were growing up uh, in Montgomery, a lot of the elders in the church in Montgomery, very seasoned um, veterans of, of Scripture, uh, just men that you, you would you'd love to sit down and talk with because they had that. They just had the spirit. I mean, it, it, Galatians just dripped from, from talking to them. And I aspire to be a lot like these men uh, because they just had that sense of peace. You could, you could just feel that you weren't talking to a person who had to be that center piece. You were talking to somebody who, who put the church ahead of themselves, who put other people around them, who put the needs of the congregation first. Because when you first walked in, the, the, the questions were, how are you doing today, brother? What's on your mind? How, how are you thinking? What's troubling? Is there something I can do? And you knew these men had the weight of the church on their shoulders. 
and they were dealing with really big challenges. But when you walked in, the most important thing to them at that moment was talking to me and making sure I was doing okay. That was pretty big. Those were huge shoes that, that like I said, I constantly looked at and said, wow, if I could do that, if I could be like that, not only in the church, but if I could be like that in the world, the kind of impact that God could have through my feeble efforts, wow, that would be awesome. And, and it's a challenge because Satan is going to use that because he knows that every time something happens that's good, Satan is going to try to sneak in that little piece that says, yep, that was you. You did that. You need to take credit for having that accomplished. You need to be the one that stands up and says, ha, see what I did. And that's how Satan is going to poison the church. That's how Satan gets us thinking about ourselves again. Galatians is all about thinking about others. Gentleness, self-control, joy, love, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. None of this has anything to do with me. I benefit from it, but I'm not doing it for me. Love and joy and peace and patience. That's how I deal with other people. That's how we deal with each other. It's, it's like a seed that's planted in the dirt. It grows. Joy, peace, and patience, and kindness grows when other people see it in other people. The church is a place that that spirit is a tree, and the fruit of that tree is all of this love and kindness and compassion. And it can't help but grow and spread throughout the church and, and into the community. When we have it here enough to where it's filling our lives, it boils over into our lives outside of here. We just need to make sure that we're fostering that tree. We're helping that tree grow. Because that spirit is the secret ingredient that Satan can't deal with. He has no way of answering it. When the spirit presents itself in the world, it catches the world by surprise. And it catches Satan off guard too. It's time. Speaking of surprises, time has gone by a lot faster than I thought it would. But I appreciate your comments and thank you for coming out. We've got, a, I think I've got two more classes, three more classes. Okay, three more classes and then we're going to be done. Um, but I wanted to let you know that you know we've we've had we've covered a lot of material. The next few classes are going to be a lot more interactive. I want to get your feelings and thoughts on specifically content and how it works together. So your homework is to think about how the things that we've talked about impact life here in the church and other ways as well because we're going to delve into those a little bit more. Again, thank you very much, 1015. I appreciate your comments today, and we'll look forward to them again next week. Thanks, Brother Allen. Thank you. Thank you.